Good morning. I am excited to share with you this morning. Um, we're actually getting started with a new series. Uh, it's going to be a shorter series, but we're going to be looking at the gospel. What is the gospel? And so we're going to be looking next five weeks or so um, at just the basics of the gospel. So Jesus' perfect life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his glorious return. These are some of the things we're going to be going through as we lead up to Easter, and we're and, um, excited about that sermon series. So I get the privilege this morning to talk about Jesus' perfect, sinless life. So Jesus' perfect life, that seems like a huge topic to cover in one sermon. <laughs> but what we're going to do this morning is kind of zero in on a couple things. Um, first of all, Jesus' deity. And if you're not familiar with that term, it just that, that's just um, to say how we can know that Jesus is God, his deity. So we're going to be looking at his deity and his humanity. And then we're also going to focus in then on Jesus as the Lamb of God. And so if you want to get your Bibles out, and um, if, if you have your Bibles with you, that's great. Otherwise, we have some behind the chair backs in your aisle, and we should have it up here as well. But we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, the book of John chapter 1, and we'll get to that in a minute, but just so you have a heads up. But we're going to be looking at the deity of Jesus here. And one of the clearest presentations or representations of Jesus' deity is going to be found in the beginning verses of the Gospel of John. And it's really where we're going to be hanging out uh, the most this morning. So, yeah, just keep a finger on that page, John chapter 1. And I'm going to read the opening three verses says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so this is a very poetic and like thought-provoking uh, opening to the Gospel of John. And the commentator, George Beasley Murray, points out that this term, the Word, when it talks about the word, it would have been a common idea at the time with a lot of, with both the Jews in Israel and their neighbors. Like the Egyptians had their own idea of the word, which is described as a heavenly divine substance flowing out of the mouth of a God. And for the Israelites at that time, this, this term, the word, would also bring to mind something like the law of God and of wisdom. And so now John personifies the word in his opening statements and he reveals that the word is God himself. And then dropping down a few verses later and we'll look at this later on, but verse 14 it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the word is clearly Jesus and by implication Jesus is clearly God. And this is what we believe about the Trinity 
that God is one in three persons, the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this opening passage here, it just shows us that Jesus was with God the Father at creation, and everything that was made was made through Jesus Christ. And the book of Colossians actually helps explain Jesus' deity and his role in the creation of the world as well. So Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it says of Jesus here, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then one other passage that I want us to look at that, that talks about Jesus' deity, that kind of ties some of this together. It's also in the book of John, but if you move forward a couple chapters, chapter 8, and then we're going to be looking at verses 56 through 59. But Jesus is having an exchange with some of the Jews at that time. He's teaching at the temple, and it actually gets really heated. And they're having a discussion about Jesus' relationship with the Father, as well as the Jews' heritage, which they trace back to Abraham. And so looking at, looking at Jesus proclaiming his own deity here, um, how he is God, it says, your father Abraham, this is Jesus, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And I don't know if you caught it there, but if they had sound systems at that time, it would have been an absolute mic drop of a statement right there. <laughs> so Jesus called himself the I Am. And back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked God what his name was, this was when Moses was speaking to God in front of the burning bush. God told him that his name was I am. And so if we look back at this statement from Jesus 2,000 years ago in time and space, Jesus declared to the Jews at the temple that he is God by calling himself the I am. And the reaction of the Jews spoke volumes to this situation. They picked up stones to kill him right there. And Jesus was able to slip out of the temple because it was not his time to die at the moment. But just the fact that they, they knew what he was talking about. They knew that he was calling himself God and they were ready to stone him for it. And I love being able to make connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this last passage is an example of how the New and Old Testaments interact shows the unity of scripture and how we can't have one without the other. And there are so many connections and references back and forth, and we're actually going to be looking at several more throughout the sermon this morning. 
These verses we've looked at help to establish the fact that Jesus is God. And with that in mind, we're going to read, keep on reading through John chapter 1 and verse 14 again. We're going to talk about Jesus' humanity. So John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this one is another example of the interplay between the Old Testament and the New. It says that the word dwelt among us. And this actually means in the original Greek, this term dwelt among us, it literally literally means that God pitched his tent among us. And when we see it that way, we can recognize we can recognize that it points us back to the picture of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. That God pitched his tent, the tabernacle, among the people of Israel, and he dwelt among them as he was leading them away from Egypt into the promised land. And later, God's presence would dwell in the temple in Jerusalem, and Israel would know that God dwelt with them. And so in the same way here, now in Jesus, the word become, become flesh. So the word became flesh, and he and pitched his tent among us. So God is with us, and this is, this is a really, just, it's just amazing to see that in this passage. But in looking at Jesus' humanity, God with us, I want to give just a sampling of things that Jesus did throughout his life, which displays his humanity. And we're not going to go to all of these passages, I'm just going to kind of list them off, but if you're interested in, in knowing where this is in the Bible, just come talk to me afterwards. You could talk to Tom or Pastor Tom or Pastor Chris or any of the elders, but I'm just going to kind of list through um, a sampling of things that make Jesus, that we can see in Scripture that show his humanity. So we see that Jesus got tired, that he slept, that he ate and he drank, that he was a carpenter, that he had friends, that he had siblings, that he got troubled, that he was sorrowful, that he wept, and he was tempted. These are all things we encounter as humans and that Jesus also encountered through his life. And so as we're looking at the implications of Jesus being fully God and fully man, we're also going to look briefly at another major event that shows his humanity, and that's Jesus' incarnation, his, his birth into this world. It's part of what theologians call, call Jesus' humi- uh, humiliation, the humiliation of Jesus. And in this act where Jesus, who existed for all eternity with the Father, who was there at the cre- who created the heavens and the earth came down humbled himself came down to earth and took on our flesh and blood and philippians 2 6 through 8 says this about jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so this first part of his humiliation, what they call his humiliation coming down to earth, humbling himself, this happened through the virgin birth. And we often talk about this at, around Christmas time because this is when we celebrate Jesus' birth. But Jesus' virgin birth was necessary for Jesus, again, fully God, to become fully man. He did not change from his eternal existence into something else in order to become a man, but he maintained his deity throughout. And some of you might wonder, why was this necessary? Why is the virgin birth such a big deal? And could Jesus have been able to accomplish his work apart from this? And the short answer is, is no. <laughs> We're going to look at this a little, a little more in, in detail um, throughout. But, but this was a supernatural event. It had to take place in this way. It was a baby being conceived in a woman apart from a man through the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the act where Jesus came down to earth and became a man. And through the woman Mary... Jesus' entrance into this world came in the utterly stark and real form of childbirth, which we have all gone through. And it had to be this way in order for this child who was born to grow up and to live a sinless life and to fulfill the law of God and then to die in our place as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And this is what I want to turn our attention to for the rest of the sermon it's Jesus as the Lamb of God. We're going to look at his perfect and sinless life. And so we're still looking at the importance of the incarnation here, but I want to kind of take a step back for a minute. And when we talk about the gospel, oftentimes we look at, we talk about um, the gospel in different steps. Um, for, so like, or stages, I guess. You could call it stages. But you have creation, which is where everything was perfect and as it should be. This is when God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have the fall, which is when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And in rebelling and eating the forbidden fruit, they brought sin and death and separation from God upon themselves and upon all of humanity from that point forward. And so then we have redemption, which is where, which is really what we're talking about today, but it's where God's plan, it was God's plan to make a way for us to be in right relationship with him again. And then finally we have restoration, which is when all will finally and permanently be made right and restored to its perfect order. And when those who are in Christ will be with him for all eternity. And so today we're talking about redemption, the redemption narrative, as we're looking at the life of Christ. And through the fall of man, sin had separated us from God. But all throughout the Old Testament, God was moving and working towards the plan of redemption, which we now see clearly through Jesus Christ. 
And so if we look back into uh, the opening chapter of John, again, we're kind of staying in that John chapter 1. And after we read about the word who was God and who dwelt among us, who pitched his tent among us, it then walks us through the ministry of John the Baptist. And if you want to turn your Bibles to John 1, 29 through 31, we're going to be looking at those verses. But John the Baptist was in the middle of his baptizing ministry. And he was approached by some of the Jewish priests and Levites. They asked him who he was, whether he was Elijah or maybe one of the prophets who was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And John the Baptist's answer was that, no, he was the one preparing the way for the Christ, the Messiah. And so we then pick up in verse 29. And John the Baptist says something very interesting that can be easily missed in this narrative. I'm just going to read it here, verses 29 through 31. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, But for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And then a few verses later, John the Baptist confesses. He says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so this is a very interesting few verses here. John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. And then just keep in mind, this is at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the Holy Spirit had just descended on Jesus in power when he was baptized by John. And Jesus had not performed any miraculous signs yet. And so I want us to kind of picture what this would have sounded like to the people of Israel at this time. When John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is going to catch the Jews at that time off guard. John is referring to a human being who some of them would have even known him as Jesus of Nazareth, who grew up among them. And up to this point, the Jews are very familiar with using a lamb as a sacrifice for their sins. And one of the clearest examples of the need for a spotless lamb was in the story of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And I want to make this connection because, as I mentioned earlier, God had been working all throughout the Old Testament leading up to this point of Jesus entering the world as the Lamb of God. And so to understand what is meant here as the Lamb of God, I want to take us through the story of the Passover. And this is when the people of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, and God was in the process of bringing them out of captivity. Moses had been God's prophet speaking to the Egyptian Pharaoh and there had been nine plagues up to this point that God placed on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. After each one, Pharaoh would not allow Israel to go free. 
But the tenth and final plague had been warned about and was about to happen. The angel of death was going to come through the nation of Egypt and kill the firstborn son of every household as this tenth plague. And so in order for the people of Israel to be spared of this plague, God commanded Moses to tell the people of Israel that each household needed to take a perfect spotless lamb and to kill it and to put the blood of that lamb all up and down the doorframe of their house. And then as the angel of death came through on that night, he would see the blood on the doorframe and he would pass over that house and that household. And so this happened and they did, they did what God commanded and the angel of death came through and spared the people of Israel. And it was on that night that they were set free, that Pharaoh sent them away and that they were set free from their slavery. So this is the story of the Passover. And this story is key in understanding Jesus' death on the cross as the Lamb of God. And later on, a whole system of animal sacrifices was implemented for the people of Israel, which is laid out in the book of Leviticus. And it was only through the regular sacrificial blood of an animal that their sins were atoned for before God. And this is what we see throughout the Old Testament, that as God, God shows us the significance of sin and the depth of his holiness and justice, as well as his mercy on his people. And so when John the Baptist points out here in John 1.29, he says to the people of Israel, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And this is just a stunning realization that a human being, Jesus Christ, was called out as the sacrificial lamb. But this is exactly what Jesus' life was for. He lived his life on earth perfectly and without sin, as fully God and fully man, he did what no other man or woman was able to do or ever will do. And every single law from the law of God in the Old Testament, he obeyed, Jesus obeyed as a human to a T. He was even brought out into the wilderness by the devil and tempted by all different kinds of temptations that we all face. And he obeyed God perfectly in that he did not sin. He was tempted in every way and yet never sinned. And in Jesus' perfect life and in his sacrifice on the cross as the Lamb of God, he secured the eternal salvation for us, for all those who believe and call on his name. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to the substance of Jesus Christ. So animal sacrifices were temporary and imperfect, performed by imperfect people. But Jesus Christ is the perfect, spotless lamb whose life was lived in sinless perfection. And because of this, his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to take away the righteous wrath of God from all who recognize their sinfulness and cry out to God for salvation. 
So this is some pretty weighty stuff here. But we no longer live in times like the Bible where bloody sacrifices were a normal way of life. Like we don't experience that in the same way. But it's through Christ. It's the freedom that we have today as Christians was bought by the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God. And so we worship him today, the same God who stepped down into our mess and who pitched his tent among us. We no longer are required to obey the Old Testament law that was given to Israel, but that's because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. And yet we are each called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And this means following in Jesus' footsteps. And so as our mission statement here says, we love Jesus. We recognize with joy the weight of our sin that was taken off our shoulders and put on Christ. And we praise him and we worship him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this means we love people like Jesus loved. We serve like he served and we count other people as more important than us, just like Jesus did. And it means we help people love Jesus. And we do this like Pastor Chris talked about last Sunday through discipleship, through telling people about Jesus and by letting the word of God dwell in our hearts and permeate our lives. And we do all these things in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us because of the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And like this sign, or this, um, on the back of the wall here, it actually um, is from Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, which says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so looking at Jesus' life, there are all kinds of examples of how we can follow in his footsteps. And we could go on and on. We could talk about his humility, his servanthood, his truthfulness, his patience. There's so many things that we can uh, look through, look at Jesus' life and follow. But I wanted to actually, I wanted to highlight with this sermon just the Lamb of God, that aspect of Jesus' life, that he was the sinless and perfect Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world, for our sins. He was slain for us. And then I want to close here with just a glorious heavenly vision that, that John actually writes, writes about in the closing book of the Bible, Revelation. So Revelation 5 starts out with it's kind of a crazy scene, but um, four living creatures and 24 elders around God's throne and singing, singing about Jesus. And then from there it extends to myriads and myriads of angels, which I don't even know what that word means, but I think it means a lot. <laughs> and then from there it includes everyone in heaven and on earth. 
and under the earth and everyone joining together to praise Jesus, the lamb who was slain. And so it says here, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then the angels join and say, Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then everyone together joined. And they say, To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And after this massive chorus of angels and every living creature in heaven and earth were done singing these things, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so here at Springbrook Church today, let us say, Amen. Let it be, Lord. And fall down and worship Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful this morning. We're thankful for your perfect life. We're thankful for the love that you displayed through your sacrificial death as the Lamb of God. And now as we take some time here to remember through the communion elements, the bread representing your body, which was broken for us, and the juice representing your blood that was spilled for us, Let us remember and let us proclaim your death and resurrection until you return. It's in your perfect name that we pray. Amen.